Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Mets fans, welcome to episode 273 of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. My name is Brian Salvatore. Thank you for joining us this week. We are just about at the end of spring training, and as the Mets are wont to do, they have made our topic for tonight irrelevant. Chris and I talk a lot about the uh, the sort of last battle in the bullpen about Rafael Montero and all of that, and then of course Rafael Montero has a torn. Uh, UCL, and we'll be getting Tommy John surgery. So ignore that part of the conversation, but the show is still full of other stuff. We talk about your emails. We have a segment from Steve Saipa. But before that, I just wanted to bid a fond farewell to one of our good friends, Mr. Steve Schreiber, the green man. We talked about it a little bit uh, last time, I think. Maybe maybe that was off air. I don't remember. But our friend Steve got a job with the Kansas City Royals doing some of their social media stuff. And Steve is great. He's going to do great there. We are really hoping he can somehow uh, hijack the We Follow Lucas Duda account on behalf of Mets fans everywhere. So best of luck, Steve. And uh, here is the first part of our show where I chat with Chris McShane. Well, Chris, we are rapidly approaching the end of spring training. It seems like it's... uh... 
it's actually moved relatively fast this year. I find spring training usually be a slog, but we're almost we're almost through it, and uh, there's a couple of sort of positional battles still uh, being waged. Although um, for the most part, the, the team sort of looks you know complete for right now. Um, how are you feeling about the overall construction of the roster going into opening day? Um, you know, pretty decent, I would say. Uh, it's the off season had a lot of things that weren't super exciting, but you know, everybody's in one piece for most part. Um, you know, Jason Vargas is uh, catching hand is not, but, <laughs> <laughs> but aside from that, and even that's not like a huge deal. Uh, you know, it sounds like he won't miss too much time. I hope they don't rush him back, but you know, he's not going to be out for a month or anything like that. Um, by the sounds of it. So everybody's pretty much in one piece. Um, there's, there's probably only one position that is alarmingly concerning right now. Uh, and that, yeah, it's first base. Yeah. Um, you know, there's still plenty of uncertainty in some other spots on the roster, but the, the one that I go in thinking like, man, this is it is first um you know and it's something people saw coming all winter so yeah i don't i don't think it'll make or break the team and i think there might be a scenario where you know if gonzalez uh isn't any good and smith isn't healthy or good himself then you know they might have to go get somebody in the season uh there or but, as we said last week just let jay bruce play first base yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there, there's also that, um, and maybe that's the way to do it. So, yeah, I think aside from that, you know, it, it, we should also mention, you know, the season is starting with Michael Conforto on the DL, but Conforto looks to be ahead of schedule for coming back from the disabled list. He played in an inter-squad game today, hit two home runs off two left-handed pitchers. Granted, they are minor leaguers, and you know insert various caveats here, but it's good to see Conforto playing in a game and doing something that, you know, is great. Um, I think it's probably realistic to start talking about him coming back in April. Uh, maybe not, you know, he's not going to be ready for opening day, obviously, but maybe the last week of April, does that sound realistic to you? Yeah, yeah, I mean, at this point, it's... Uh... You know, I, I don't know what else he's doing and not doing in the course of his day and his week and everything. But, um, you know, he's if he's hitting home runs, even if they are against that sort of competition, he's still, you know, not holding back. Um, and I don't mean this is an insult to his power by any means, but, you know, Giancarlo Stanton may have the ability to go out there and swing at half power. <laughs> And, you know, have the ball still go a really long way. Uh, and that that's a very rare thing. So uh, it's encouraging that Conforto is swinging hard enough. And, um, you know, just the way that he suffered that injury. I had some anxiousness, I think, about how, you know, he would handle just swinging a bat in a game. Because there's, you know, even when it's there's nobody in the stands and all that. And, you know, you, you've established yourself as a very good major league hitter. Um, 
there's still some kind of competition that's different when you're in a game situation. Absolutely. Um, as opposed to the cage. So, you know, it's not like we didn't think he had swung a bat all winter. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, that that's encouraging. And I think Cespedes being relatively okay so far with the wrist thing and Conforto looking like he's ahead of schedule. Uh, those are two guys who are absolutely essential, I think. Because, uh, you know, when you play out that everything goes right, those two are maybe not two of the top 10 outfielders in the game or, or anything, but two of the top 30, maybe even less. Yeah, I'd say less, top 20 maybe. Yeah. Um, you know, with, and that that alone would be big. Um, there's a, yeah, well, we'll get to the other stuff, but. Yeah, especially if, <laughs> especially if first base is going to be the offensive black hole it appears it's going to be for now. Having those two guys healthy is incredibly important. Yeah, and at the very least, if nothing changes, uh, and Conforto is on the DL, and you know you've got an outfield of Cespedes, Nimmo, Bruce, I hope they at least get Flores some time at first. Yes. Um, you know, obviously against lefties, and then even against righties, maybe once in a while. Uh, you know, I, I'd I'd rather go into it that way and say hey adrian gonzalez if you you know tear the cover off the ball then we'll stop doing this but we're going to start handling it this way yeah um that's not what i expect to happen in reality no this is the mets chris (laughs) yeah there is sort of an institutional uh thing to it you know mickey calloway charming as he may be can only do so much yeah it just seems like uh the Wilpons are the equivalent of that kid in your class who stopped paying attention to baseball three or four years ago, but still thinks that the players who he was a fan of, you know, uh, half a decade ago are, are still like the best players in, in the league. You know, you mean, you mean I shouldn't have taken Adrian Gonzalez in my fantasy draft tonight? <laughs> no, probably not. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I took a fair ration of shit from my friends for taking uh, Conforto last night. I, I, took, uh, I took Conforto like in the maybe 14th or 15th round. Oh, uh, yeah. Hey, that uh, you can laugh at them in a month. Well, that's, that's what I said. You know, I, I said, I'll stash him on the DL for a few weeks, and then when he comes back, he'll be very good for my team. Yeah. Yeah. I took him even earlier in that tonight, and partly because of the the keeper rules in this, uh, you know, this new league that I had joined. But, uh, you know, at the time I did it, it was. It was a little on the bold side, but uh, I, I think he's that good, and he can justify it. So, and then you know, yeah. So if you if you've had a fantasy draft by the time you're hearing this, <laughs> we, hope, <laughs> we hope you did the same. Yes. And if not, we're not turning it into a fantasy podcast. But draft Conforto, damn it! Like, yeah. Do Do you want to win? To To me, it was just it was such a simple move. I, I needed. I already had one player. Uh, I forget who. I, I did two drafts in like 36 hours of each other, so I'm mm-hmm. I'm drawing a blank on who I drafted in each league, and I'm too lazy to look it up right now. But I already had a center fielder, but I wanted somebody else who I could get some center field stats from, and I was just doing like the the filter by play by position. And I saw Conforto was still there, and I just thought, you know, listen, at this point in the game, it's either a guy who's going to be playing, you know, essentially it's going to be a fourth outfielder who might get a couple of starts a week, or it's going to be Michael Conforto. I don't think it's a tough choice. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. 
Anyway, this has been Chris and Brian's fantasy corner, uh, Jeff Conforto. <laughs> uh, but no, it's um, the Gonzalez thing is is alarming for a number of reasons. I think everybody expected that he would not be the player he was when he was in Boston, or especially not the player he was when he was in San Diego. But it looks like he might not even be the player he was in Los Angeles last year. Uh, and that's that's really alarming. And we've talked before about the need to have him on a relatively short leash and why the Mets aren't going to do that. But I mean, it's kind of a perfect storm this season with Smith being hurt and with uh, there being you know the Adam Linz of the world still out there available, but just knowing the Mets aren't going to make that move. I... I I think you know anything could change, and spring training is just that. I'm not I'm not calling these spring stats uh, definitive, or even um, I'm not even putting a ton of weight into them. I'm just going by what I've seen, and Gonzalez has looked so so bad so far this spring, just unbelievably bad that I've lost almost all confidence that he can even be a league average player. I hope I'm wrong. I really really do, but. Do you have any confidence in uh, in his abilities at this point? Uh, I can try to play the the role of optimist. <laughs> well, you, you are the, the optimist, you know. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, defending the player over thirty, um, in baseball terms, in this case, well over. Um, yeah, I believe he's still younger than I am, but you know, <laughs> that's right. I'm at that point in my life, Chris. Yeah, that, yeah. Hey, that's okay. Uh, but yeah, he. If I'm looking at it optimistically and I chalk up last year completely to his back uh, and, you know, that doesn't seem to have been an issue um, in the spring training, then, okay, you know, maybe he can go out and kind of be (laughs) – the funny thing is I I think the best thing we're hoping for here is like Lucas Duda-ish. Yeah. Um, Who could have been had. (laughs) Right. And, and Duda and some other players who were similar to him, uh, you know, could have been had for around that same kind of level. But, you know, uh, if you're going back to 2016, 18 home runs, that's that's not even really Duda-esque. But 18 home runs, a um, bit higher average than what Duda would typically do, about the same on-base percentage, you know, decent slugging, uh, better than a league average hitter, but nothing extraordinary. Right, I, I can. Uh, for a guy who had a track record as long as he did of being as good as he was, I, I like to try to not write a guy off for one bad season. Um, you know, if, if this one goes like last year, then I think I would completely give up. Now, all of that said, you know, spring training has happened. Um, the alternatives still all seem more appealing, but there's. You know, there's some part of me uh, that could see a reasonably decent season from him where he's just a guy who's there. You know, he's fine. He's getting enough hits when he needs to. Uh, You know, nobody's going to call him the team MVP, uh, but nobody's calling for him to be released. Um I guess that <laughs> that's about as optimistic as it gets. I mean that that would be a truly lovely situation. It really would be. Um, you know, it, it, again, we're talking in pure hypotheticals here, but 
I think this would be slightly different if Smith had not gotten hurt slash didn't show up late for the first day for for the first game. I, I think that the, that the combination of him just pissing off owner uh, management again and him being hurt has led to. I haven't heard a single person, let's say, talk about how the job is Smith's to lose right now. Everybody seems like, myself included, seems like it's uh, is framing it as Smith has to win the job during the season. That it, I think at the beginning of the offseason it was, well, Gonzalez is there in case Smith falters. Whereas now it's Smith can't falter or else we're getting Gonzalez for the whole season. Does that make sense, like the way that that conversation shifted? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Um it would be nice if it was the other way around, but you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully Smith gets his shot. Um, you know, not that we think he's going to be a Hall of Famer, uh, but you know, I think we're in a phase right now that unless unless you're in a spot that you know the <laughs> the optimistic take on Gonzalez is happening and everything else is going well, and they sort of just go, well, we don't want to disrupt anything. Uh, you know, we're we're doing all right. Gonzalez isn't a huge problem. And Smith kind of gets stuck where he is. But, if, I mean, if we get to a point, uh, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a doctor and the Mets haven't given any kind of timetable, but I'm thinking Smith isn't even playing in a game until, what, the middle of April, maybe? They were saying they hope to get him in a couple of Grapefruit League games. Yeah, but I think I think they've given up on that even publicly. Even when they said that, there weren't that many left, and like he wasn't running, you know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, which you know, just a minor part of the game. But um, but yeah, I, I I don't know. I mean, if he was at that point, I don't think. And I, you know, the minor league season starts slightly later than the major league season. I can see where he's not playing in a game for Vegas um, until the middle of April, and then, you know, however long that takes. But if when he's ready, uh, let's just say May 1st, if Adrian Gonzalez has, you know, replicated his 2017 numbers, then please, please give him a shot. Yeah, at this point, I'm I'm almost more interested in just deciding whether and deciding whether Smith is a player to to build around, you know, and the only way you're going to know that is by playing him. So if he's going to be, if Gonzalez is going to be bad, I would rather Smith be bad and then us know what we want out of the first base position going forward, then oh, I'd almost prefer that to Gonzalez being okay and us still not knowing what the situation with Smith is. Right. Um. So the last sort of bit of competition we have here is is for the, the, the bullpen. And depending if they're going with uh, seven or eight members of the uh, bullpen, it will uh, it will determine how many sort of uh, you know how, how many spots are, are available right now. So let's let's talk this through. Right now we have um Matt's, Harvey, Wheeler, Syndergram. Syndergram, Syndergaard, and Zagram. Uh, <laughs> yes. I mean, to be fair, I would love a Voltron-esque Syndergram pitcher. Um, but we have those five who are likely to start the season as the, the starting five for the team, along with, you know, uh, just waiting in the wings, Jason Vargas, once his hand is healed. Um, 
So that leaves, you know, uh, Swarzak, Ramos, Blevins, and Familia as the four sort of main locks. I, I think, you know, there have been some talk about some about some other folks, but would you agree that those are sort of the main four that they're building around right now? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. So um, we've heard Paul Seawald is is a lock, according to, uh, who said that? Was, was that a Tacomo? Uh, yeah, he's been, you know, giving his roster projection updates and pretty much, you know, has been saying that, that, uh, you know, Seawald is in that group with those four guys that he, he's a lock. So, oh, microphone malfunction. Thank you, Blue. Oh, boy. <laughs> no, it's still, it's working, but it tilted over. So oh, okay. if you hear some noises, listeners, you can thank the wonderful warranty pos- uh, policy of the microphone company. <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, you know, if we go into it with that assumption, then there's, uh, you know, three spots if they go with eight, two spots if they go with seven. And it sure sounds like Gazelman and Lugo are getting two of them. Uh, I mean, it's, it's kind of insane. I don't know. Do we know if, if Gazelman and Lugo still have options? Uh, we can check. TPG Matt's finally updated his site. Oh, good. Um, no complaints. No. <laughs> <laughs> he does this for free. He does it very accurately. But um, but we can check that kind of thing. But yeah, they they uh they do. And Gazelman's got two. Lugo has two. So yeah, they're you know, and they're they're nowhere near being able to refuse any kind of option. So right. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's kind of insane to relegate both those guys to the bullpen at this point. I think having one of them stretched out in Vegas is a very smart move. Do you disagree with that? Um, I'm torn because it, it, like right now, if they don't trust any of the other guys who are, you know, brought over in the trades last summer or guys that they had internally who, who might be, you know, getting close to that major league, debut um i i i would get it if they went with like leaning toward just hey here are the best pitchers that we have they're all going to be on the major league roster and you know these roles might not be ideal but we you know we want them all here um and it's it's tough i could see your point you know do one and one have one guy just starting games and you know kind of just putting in work uh not trying to really prove anything at at that level but just pitching in games and you know uh being there for the first opening which is inevitable on any team right exactly and 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 you know so much has been made about the starting pitching health on the Mets you're gonna need a guy ready sooner than later so to have one of them, and, and to me, Gazelman makes more sense as a starter than Lugo does. Lugo has pitched better out of a bullpen. I think Lugo's curveball out of the bullpen is a really dangerous weapon. If I were constructing the last three spots on the roster, I would have, I guess, Lugo and Robles, I think, are, are definites. And then to me, it's between Raymond Montero and letting Gazelman start the year in AAA. As much as that sucks for Gazelman, that's where he 
to me offers the most value. Yeah, yeah, no, I I hear you. The one thing with Robles is that they do still have an option on him. Oh, that is true. So I could see. Um, I'm not quite as obsessed with this as some of Matt's Twitter, but uh, the sort of invincibility of Robles and Montero is, uh, I'd say, a bit of a hot topic. Yeah, uh, you know, Gonzalez is probably the the main problem that Mets fans have with the roster right now, but. Those two seem to come up quite a bit, and uh, you know I get it, but I'm I'm still, uh, you know, in the camp that I'll believe it when I see it, in terms of either one of them not being on the opening day roster. Um, yeah, and again, like I, I, when we're talking about positional, not positional, like organizational value, I understand why you don't want to give Montero away because he is out of options. But I don't think you can justify having Montero and Lugo and Gazelman, three guys who probably are better off starting, all in the bullpen. Right. Um, yeah. How would you construct the last three spots in the bullpen if you were, if you were the general manager? Uh so I mean, I guess I'd just. Stick with Gazelman Lugo being two of them, and Raim is the third. Okay. This is um, from noted Hansel Robles lover, Chris <laughs> I've given up. I don't know. I just, like, it, even at his best, uh, and he did it last year, too. It's just the overall numbers that ended up worse because uh, the ugly parts were particularly ugly. <laughs> but the guy is capable, uh, and it, it doesn't seem to have any rhyme or reason to it you know it doesn't mean or sorry it's not the result of like a certain opponent there's no real pattern to it the guy is fully capable of throwing a month where he you know strikes out the world has an era in the ones um you know just really good looking solid reliever and then when it goes bad he just I, you know, we we try to avoid the false perception of streakiness, but with Robles, I I can't really think of another way to describe it. When he has one bad outing, uh, it's never isolated. It, you know, it's it's always going to be, you know, all right, he got rocked one night. He's going to probably get rocked in you know seventy five percent of his appearances for the next little while, and that's just what he does. So you know. It, Unless he goes and does, you know puts up three months of the good version of himself at the major league level, I just don't see how you can trust him. And have you totally given up on Montero? Yeah, at this point, I think so. <laughs> I carried that. I carried that. Uh, that hope for a long time, but I think I'm done too. I just don't know what else. I don't know what he could do aside from go back to the minor league Rafael Montero who didn't walk anybody. Aside from that, I don't know what he could do that would have me change my mind at this point. Yeah. It's just... Uh, yeah. I, I I don't know. There's been so many chances and some occasional flashes that make you go, oh, maybe, but... <laughs> Uh, it's just not there. No. 
It's sad. He was he was supposed to be a great story for this franchise. Yeah. You know, signing late, not not throwing, not pitching until he was what, eighteen, sixteen. Uh, it might have been even a little bit older than that. It's crazy. Yeah, no, he, I think he may have been. Because what was it? They didn't sign him until he was like twenty, which is for the way it all works, insanely old. Yes. So yeah, maybe maybe it was eighteen ish that he started with either baseball or pitching. What you know? Yeah. Uh, would have been nice. I also don't think anybody's going to claim him. I could be wrong, but that is true. All this conversation could be for naught. Um, Mets fans have had a way of freaking out about players getting, you know, claimed. Yeah, Uh, remember when Wilmer Becerra was, uh, (laughs) you know, an outrage for not being protected in the Rule Five draft. (laughs) Like that was a thing. That was a thing people got really mad about for for a while, Um, and it could not look sillier. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, last roster-related question before we get to our email. Um, do you think Philip Evans has any chance of making this day's opening? Day, this team's opening day roster. So it sounds like he does. Uh, is it bad that I don't remember him playing in the major leagues? <laughs> that was that was during the dark times of uh, September last year. Yeah, it it, it sure was. Uh, but when you go back and look, he actually held his own pretty well. Um, I ever seen him at home, hit a home run or hit a double or some some sort of dramatic extra base hit. I remember watching him doing game action and thinking, "Oh wow, good for him." Yeah, but yeah, no, it's an incredibly small sample, and uh, you know, I don't know quite what he would be uh, with with more major league playing time, but. Um, yeah, I mean, it seems like it could happen. And, you know, if you're going to be a league average hitter and kind of just hack it at a couple of different positions, then that's uh, that's not bad coming off the bench. I mean, there, yeah. you, there are teams, um, and he may have teammates who fit this mold, but, you know, there are guys who start every day in the majors who are just a league average hitter and, uh, you know, can play a position. Right. I don't know uh, what it is. I, I don't know if it's his build or whatever. He reminds me of Scott Harrison whenever I see him. Yeah. And uh, even if he was a Scott Harrison type player, that that's a useful major league piece. But I just feel like he might have a spot on the opening day roster. But once Conforto's back, I don't see how you can carry uh, Evans, Reyes... Flores Cabrera. Right. You know, that's too much. Yeah. Well, we do have an email this week, and it is from our friend David. And David says, I've been thinking about the Mets' potential starting pitchers. I think there are eight legitimate starters, each of whom is basically, uh, and each has another who is similar, basically four pairs of starting pitchers. We have our aces. Syndergaard and DeGrom. Great start to both of their careers. Both are dominant and have strong. they're having strong springs. No-brainer to have them 1-2. We have our mid-rotation guys with high upside. Harvey and Vargas. 
Obviously, Harvey started off as a phenom in his struggle these last couple of years, and Vargas seems to have gotten better with age, pitching to a 3.9 war last year. Overall, neither is likely to be an ace at this point, but we shouldn't be too concerned to have one to have either one on the rotation. With Vargas having uh, surgery, it will be just Harvey in the rotation to start the year. Then things get really interesting. I pair Mats and Wheeler together. Both have pitched to a career ERA between 3.9 and 4. Both started their careers with two very good seasons by ERA and War, and then really struggled in 2017. And both have had injuries hold back their careers. Even when they're pitching well, they seem to run up pitch counts that push them out of the game after 5 and a third with a runner on. They're easy to root for and frustrating at the same time. And our last pairing, Seth Lugo and Robert Gazelman, each debuted in 2016 and really saved that Mets season, both with their sub-3 ERAs and their ability to stay on the field. They both took a step back last year, but have followed up with strong starts to the spring as of March 21st. I've been surprised that Lugo and Gazelman haven't gotten real consideration for the Mets rotation. Emotion aside, wouldn't the best Mets rotation at this point be Syndergaard, DeGrom, Harvey, Lugo, Gazelman, with Mats and Wheeler pitching out of the bullpen? I admittedly do have a soft spot for seeing the five aces rotation, but at least one, at least once. But if Mats and Wheeler struggle, I fear they as they fear blah, as I fear they will do. Do you think Callie will have the balls and the brains to move Lugo and Gazelman to the rotation, or if Mats and Wheeler continue to go only five innings, even on a good day, would he consider piggybacking Lugo and Gazelman with with each? Looking forward to opening day, David. Well, the, the the piggybacking idea is what makes the most sense to me, and that's the only reason I would potentially carry both Lugo and Gazelman would be for a piggybacking scenario. Um, I also think that it's, you know, that the, a lot of what David said is absolutely true, but I think qualifying or quantifying Vargas as a middle-of-the-rotation guy with some upside might be overselling what Vargas is. Yeah, I, pr- probably a little bit. Um, but but I do like the way he's sort of constructed this thought. Uh, I know you're probably, you, know, you, you are intelligent enough, sabermetrically inclined enough, uh, enough of a, I guess, a baseball risk taker in theory to like piggybacking. Can you imagine the Mets ever agreeing with you? Uh... No, no, I mean, not, not fully. Um, if ever there were a time to do it, it's now. So I hope I'm wrong. And it doesn't really even feel that experimental at this point. Uh, no, you know, it's, you're not starting the game with your closer. Right. No, I, I think where it gets tough is that if you say, you know, we're going to get uh, four or five out of mats or Wheeler, and then we're going to get three or four. Uh, out, of, out of one of those two other guys, then you know that I may take you through the end of the game. Um, even if you up the starter expectation a little bit, uh, you know they they've been talking so much about avoiding the third time through the order. So I went a little conservative with the the innings mm-hmm. limits there. Um, but yeah, it, it's I'd love to see it tried, but I guess the point I'm getting at is uh, the toughest thing. For a manager in that case is if he's really trying to get the game done with just those two guys, uh, you know, hey, why didn't Ramos or Familia or Swarzak come in, uh, even Blevins, depending on, you know, who the other team has coming up uh, in the eighth or ninth inning. And, you know, I know it's not necessarily exclusive of the rest of the bullpen, 
but to really make it worth using a roster spot or two roster spots on guys to do it, I think you would really want to try to have them add that benefit that they are taking the entire bullpen workload for the day. Uh, everybody else gets a day off and, uh, and you take it from there. Um, you know, it's a, it's a tough thing to have to ride out if it doesn't go well once. If it goes well for all of April, then, you know, all right, one bad game. Hey, uh, you know, Gazelma didn't have it today, but that's okay. You know, we, we know I'll have it next time. But, yeah, yeah, I guess that's my that's my rant. I'd love to see it. I'd love to see it tried. Um, and, uh, I mean, this is the perfect roster to try it with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know, you have a bench that is fine, but isn't like, oh, my God, where are we going to find another spot for that guy? You know, Philip Evans might make it, and if so, hey, good for him, and I, I hope it goes well. But, you know, there's not a guy there that you're going, uh, hey, this this is somebody who cannot be left off the roster. Right. Um, I mean, I, I've even heard people float the idea, and it's certainly riskier, but of having Mats and Wheeler be the the caddy for the other. You know, so you have, let's say... Syndergaard, DeGrom, Harvey, Vargas, and then Wheeler starts the game and Mats comes in and, and, cl- and closes it out for him. Yeah. I think both those guys are so volatile that it makes it riskier than having Gazelman and Lugo, both of whom seem just much more um, steady in their performances. So I understand why you'd why you'd want that there. But I don't know. You know, we, we talk a lot about how the Mets needed to go out and get more pitching depth this year, and they added Vargas, and we wish they added somebody else. But there is a lot of potential depth here. I don't think that David is wrong in saying that there are eight pitchers who hypothetically could be starters for this team. With, yeah. With it, without, scraping the, without scraping the Montero barrel, as it were. Um, but yeah, I uh, the more I think about this team the more I like the idea of, of piggybacking. Yeah. And, you know, I, it's in the regular season. I don't think any team's going to get that radical, but uh, this doesn't feel that radical. <laughs> no. Especially if the start of the season doesn't go so well and they have a little bit of room to play around with something without being under the microscope so heavily, then you definitely have to go for it. Yeah. But let's hope it never comes to that. Yeah. Uh, I hope not. But uh, Anything you're looking forward to or looking for this last week of spring training? Uh, mostly just it being over. <laughs> um, nothing against spring training, but, you know, uh, yeah, just looking forward to some real games. And, you know, then we can, we can all overreact to a few real games as opposed to... Uh, the fake ones that works for me hey everyone this is steve Seiper, and i'm back this week to take a look at the mets farm system so this week i'm going to go over the columbia fireflies and the st Lucie mets 
Last week when I was going over the Binghamton Rumble Ponies and the Las Vegas 51s, I said that their prospects for the season weren't really looking too good. Uh, with Columbia and St. Lucie, it's kind of the opposite. I don't necessarily know how good they'll be. Um, I don't know how good they'll do in the standings. But both of those teams have a bunch of interesting players and have more, much more compelling stories. So let's take a look at St. Lucie first. Chad Kreuter, he's going to be returning as the coach of the St. Lucie Mets for his second season now. And I was a little bit on the fence about him last year because he had a little bit of baggage from his days as the head coach at USC in the late uh, 2000s. Basically, USC was like a juggernaut of a team before he took over. Um, and in the couple of years that he was there, USC was a sub-500 team. Obviously, it's not all his fault. And... The program is kind of starting a downward trend a few years before he took over, but USC's executives were, they weren't too sad to see him go, and the fans weren't exactly sad to see him go either. So I was really unsure about what kind of a coach he would be. I don't follow college baseball too, too closely. And the St. Lucie Mets didn't exactly have a good season last year. They went 33-35 and 35 in the first half, and then 30-40 and 40 in the second half. But you really can't exactly think of any stand-up moments. Recruiter basically bungled the lineup, or it looked like he was messing with the development of a player or multiple players. So you got to call a spade a spade, and I really can't say that I have any problems with him as the manager. Now, as for the roster, there's a couple of fun players. Maybe watchable is a better word. You know, guys you would want to root for. But St. Lucie probably isn't going to be having too many stars. Uh, Dash Winningham, he spent the last two seasons at Columbia, and even though the stats don't exactly pop off the page at you, especially in his second year there, uh, he probably gets the move from Columbia to play uh, first at St. Lucie. Luis Carpio and Andres Jimenez are the most likely candidates to play up the middle, with Carpio playing second and Jimenez playing short. Colby Woodmancy, uh, he's getting reps in at third, so I assume that he stays there. And I assume that Dan Rizzi and Brendan Brocher both get moved up, and they split the catching duties. Rizzi is a better defensive catcher, but he's kind of a light bat. And Brocher is a, is a bad defensive catcher, and a much better bat. So the outfield has a little more star power, depending on how you look at it. Um, one of those guys is a player that, in theory, be a star if everything worked out, and that individual is Desmond Lindsay. He played 65 games at Columbia last year before he had a season uh, end early due to arm surgery. And even though he kind of was not necessarily struggling early on, but he was scuffling, but he started heating up um, in the last two months of the season, of his season, I should say. And he probably would have been promoted in the second half to St. Lucie if he hadn't gotten hurt. So it makes sense that he starts the 2018 season there. In left, there's another guy that's a star, but that's kind of because of the cult of personality that's attached to him, and that's Tim Tebow. And the odds that Tebow resembles a ball player are pretty slim. But he did go on a tear last year when he was first promoted to St. Lucie. Believe it or not, he actually had a 12-game hitting streak. So who knows? I mean, with Tebow, nothing makes sense. So he's as likely to be terrible again as he is to suddenly become an all-star in the Florida State League. And rounding out the outfield um, should be some kind of combination of Jacob Zanin, Gene Cohn, Jay Jabs. Jabs is probably the most likely candidate, I guess, because he has the best arm of those guys. 
Now, the St. Lucie rotation, I think, is going to be in a lot of flux uh, in 2018. Harold Gonzalez should start the year there, but he'll probably get promoted midseason if he pitches decently. Josh Prevost, he'll be returning from Tommy John, and even though he threw about 100 innings in St. Lucie, that was 2016. So going back to St. Lucie, at least for a little bit, is probably the best way to get him back into the groove of things. Chase Ingram, Gabby Yanez, Blake Taylor, those three should probably round the rotation out. And then taking a quick look at the bullpen... Uh, it could be possibly Gerson Batista, Matt Blackham, Max Coons in the late innings. And then there's a couple of solid names that would be handing the ball off to them. Side armor, Adam Atkins, uh, Ryder Ryan, who was acquired uh, in exchange for Jay Bruce last year. Matt Poborieko, uh former catcher and Mets fan, Joseph Zangi. So there's a couple of guys to soak up innings. So the bullpen hopefully should be solid for St. Lucie next year. The rest of the team, I don't know. <laughs> and now next up are the Columbia Fireflies. Pedro Lopez, who basically got the blame for the terrible season that the Las Vegas 51s had last year and was removed from the position, he'll be managing the Fireflies this year. Um, Lopez has had a lot of talent to work with over the years, and he's been pretty much successful everywhere. So I think the Cola Flies are going to be in good hands. And a little factoid about uh, Lopez, but with this gig, uh, he's basically going to have managed every single Mets stateside team except for the GCL Mets. And twenty in, in 2008, he was with Kingsport. In 2009, he was with the Cyclones. In 2010, he was with the Sand Nets. 2011, he was with St. Lucie. From 2012 to 2016, he was with Binghamton. Last year, he was at Las Vegas. So he's been in the organization a while, and he's seen a lot of things. So, um, there's a lot of stuff that's up in the air in Colombia. Uh, a lot of the positions kind of have multiple candidates that could conceivably start, and some positions have guys that really, I don't think, have anybody that will be able to handle low A. Obviously, they're going to have to pencil somebody in, but there are certain players that I'm going to be talking about that probably are not going to be up to snuff uh, in Colombia. So first base should go to either Jeremy Vasquez or Matt Winokur. I could see a case with both, so I really don't know who's going to be getting the starting nod. Winokur's more pedigree, and I think he's a better pure hitter. But Vasquez, he absolutely lit Kingsport in the flyer last year before getting promoted to Binghamton, uh, before getting promoted to Brooklyn. And I think he has more power in his bat. Winokur has more ability to hit for average, whereas Vasquez has more ability to hit for power. So we'll see. Uh, Walter Raskin, I think, is the best fit for second. And I'm not really sure who the best fit for shortstop is. Um, Franklin Correa got most of the playing time at shortstop in Brooklyn. And I guess he would have been the most likely candidate to get that time in Columbia in 2018, but he was released. Uh, Dylan Snipes, he racked up the second most games at short, so I guess that he'll be the starting shortstop over there. Blake Tiberi, he will be coming back from Tommy John surgery, and he should be the starting third baseman. Um, the other possible candidate is Carl Stadjuar, but um, I would think that they would go with Tiberi just because I think he's the better player overall. He's the better defender. Their bats are similar, but Tiberi is the better defender and a better athlete. 
But in theory, the two could kind of flip-flop at the beginning of the season, since Tiberi's going to be shaking off the rust from not having played in a while. So, it could go either way. And the outfield should be some combination of Jose Medina, I guess, in right, Quinn Brody in center, and maybe Wagner Lagrange in left. We'll, we'll see. He is a player that could possibly stay in Brooklyn, or he could get promoted to Columbia. I'm not really sure who's going to be catching. Uh, there are two candidates, and I think they both kind of have convincing reasons for being there in Colombia. One guy's Ali Sanchez. He played uh, there last year, but I think he might repeat the level since he missed most of the season because of an injury. And when he was on the field, his bat was pretty light. Like, he barely hit or he barely slugged his own weight, and the OBP wasn't really that much better. You know, once upon a time, I thought he'd kind of be breaking out with the bat. Uh, a couple of times as home in Brooklyn, I thought he kind of could be a Josh Tully-esque doubles hitter, but that really hasn't uh, <laughs> happened, so oh well. But the other guy who might be uh, the starting catcher for the Cola Flies is Juan Oriarte, who was with Kingsport last year. He hit the ball well, and he's known for being a pretty solid defender. The organization does like to send players that maybe could be challenged a bit, to Brooklyn to get a taste of, you know, the big crowds and the competitive environment with the stay on Yankees rivalry. So I could see Uriarte being sent there, but at the same time, it's another short season league. He played in Kingsport last year. So he really isn't exactly building up, you know, full season strength and conditioning, so who knows? Or maybe they just assigned both of them there with Uriarte getting, you know, the majority of the starts and Sanchez kind of backing him up since Sanchez's bat is light, but he is a very good defensive catcher. So, who knows with that. The pitching situation in Columbia is a little more exciting than the position players. David Peterson, he was the Mets' first-round pick last year. He should be assigned to Columbia to start the season. Uh, he, didn't play last mu- he didn't play much last season because of an ingrown toe. And I don't want to be cryptic, but based on some stuff that I've heard... And the fact that he's kind of been incognito during spring training, I'll just say we might not see much of him next this upcoming season either. So if if we don't see him much, the Colorfly should still have a decent rotation, though. Uh, there's Colin Holderman, who spent most of his season on the DL last year, but he should be healthy, and I'm a fan of his. He has solid upside. Uh, same thing with Tony DeBrell and Chris Vile. These are two guys that I'm I'm a fan of. Both of them, they have solid upside. Gary Cornish was transitioned into the Colorfly rotation after he got back from his 50-game uh, drug suspension. But a few starts into his season last year, he got knee surgery. So he'll probably start the season in Columbia again. Jake Simon, he got roughed up a little bit last year in Brooklyn. And his stuff didn't really exactly look that good. But he's a young lefty, so you really can't count him out, you know. So if Peterson is on the mound... You have him, Holdeman, DeBrell, Vile, Cornish, Simon. Those bunch, that's that's a solid bunch, and they're going to take the Fireflies pretty far. Uh, if Peterson isn't able to pitch for whatever reason, um, you could pencil in Nicholas DeBora or Trent Johnson to the back of that rotation. Um, but most of those other guys that I mentioned before, they should be able to carry most of the weight. And the bullpen in Columbia should be pretty, should be pretty solid, too. Um... Max Kunz and Steven Villines, they should be solid. Marcel Durinteria, he didn't pitch too much last season, and his stuff was pretty compromised because of an injury, but if he's 100% healthy, he'd fortify the back end of that pen. 
uh, junk ballers, Connor O'Neill, Cannon Chadwick. They have good enough off-speed stuff to uh, still fool low-A hitters. So it should be a, a solid bullpen, hopefully. So all in all, I think that the lower levels of the minors are a bit more exciting than what we'll probably be seeing in Binghamton in Las Vegas. I mean, our top three prospects, Peterson, Andres Jimenez, and Desmond Lindsay, are all in that group. And if he was healthy, Thomas Sabucki would probably be uh, playing for St. Lucie. So that's, you know, the meat and the potatoes of the system. Next week, I will go over Brooklyn, Kingsport, the GCL Mets. But really, that's going to be more of a... Here's a couple of guys to just be aware of, since there's going to be a, a ton of 2018 draftees and Dominican Summer League players that are going to be making their stateside debuts. But it'll be fun. that does it for another installment of Amazing Avenue Audio. Thank you so much for listening. We truly, truly appreciate it. Please go to AmazingAvenue.com where we have all the Mets news you could ever want. Great analysis, a great community to join in and chat with. And uh, yeah, we hope you come to AmazingAvenue.com frequently and you stop and say hello. You can also find Amazing Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. You can email the show, podcast at AmazingAvenueAudio.com. We love your emails. Please, please send them in. We can also be found on, the show can be found on Stitcher, on Apple Podcasts, or download directly from blogtalkradio.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe in whatever podcatcher you choose to use. And you can find all the contributors today on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. Chris is at Chris McShane. Steve is at Steve Saipa. So we'll be back with one more show before the start of the regular season, and then we're in the thick of it. So enjoy, folks, and until next time, let's go Mets. Thank you.